We have an update in the Lori Vallow and Chad DeBell matter. The prosecution is subpoenaing records from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right, the Mormons. The prosecution makes their case getting in all their evidence in the Alex Murdoch trial. Justice for Harmony Montgomery has begun. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Hit that little bell so you receive notifications. Leave me a comment below. And remember, you can listen to us anytime in your favorite podcasting apps. Now, the sponsor for today, CrimeTalkSearch.com. Listen, information is power. And if there's somebody coming into your life, maybe you've met them on a dating app, maybe you I don't know, your kids want to hang out with somebody and you don't know anything about their family, you can do something about it. Go to crimetalksearch.com, sign up for that background subscription service, and when you do, you can run as many background searches as you like while you have the subscription service. Now, you can cancel at any time. That's the beautiful thing about it. And when you run that search, literally while you wait, you are able to get that report. And it's going to have information about whether somebody has a criminal history. Are they one of those public registries, if you know what I mean. Mm. You're going to find out if maybe if they're married. Do they have liens against them? Judgments against them? Do they owe a bunch of money? Things you may want to find out. Maybe something just isn't right. You're not getting that warm, fuzzy feeling and you know your spidey senses are tingling. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did. We have a great docket for you today. So let's go ahead and open the record for January 30th, 2023. All right, the Lori Vallow Chad Daybell matter. There's a hearing scheduled for tomorrow. And of course, guess what? It's so secretive. Nobody could possibly know because we have to protect the privacy of everyone in this particular case. Now, let's just talk about the case of uh, Alec Murdoch, for example. Public hearings, motions filed, and they're still able to seat a jury and proceed to trial within this speedy trial time period. Can you imagine such a thing? And I'm telling you, as somebody who's done criminal defense for 28 years, I don't think that I have ever done anything in chambers as far as motions hearings. Maybe there were some scheduling issues. Hey, come on back, let's talk about scheduling, something along those lines. Never have we literally <laughs> conducted hearings in the judge's chambers. Hell, where I practice law, if you lock the doors and nobody can come in, it's a violation of one's right to an open court proceeding under the Sixth Amendment. I've never seen anything like what's taken place in Idaho. I just don't get it, but we'll have to wait and see if it's an issue down the road. So, the prosecution has issued a subpoena to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, I think, as they used to say in their commercials. And what is a subpoena ducis tecum? Well, it's a subpoena where somebody has to show up for court. Like if you're a witness, here's your subpoena to go to court. Subpoena ducis tecum is simply a fancy word for saying, and bring some documents as well. So the representative from the Church of the uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons, are going to have to show up to court on February 9th of 2023 
and they are supposed to show up and bring the following proof of church membership of Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, and they also have to bring all copies of native records generated contemporaneous with each visit to a church temple from October 1 of 2018 to November 30th of 2019, indicating the dates, times, and locations where Chad Daybell and or Lori Vallow attended said temples. So the prosecution is either trying to establish that they were at one of these temples, aka church, or whether they weren't when they maybe have said that they were. So obviously they're trying to get in what they refer to as business records, records made contemporaneously. They're trying to show either the record existed and there was an entry or the absence of the record, which is evidence in and of itself. Now, there's also the order of the closed hearing that's been filed. And so the hearing tomorrow on January 31st, it will be closed because we can't handle the truth. We can't handle it. So sensitive. So, so sensitive. Everything in Idaho is so sensitive. Are you kidding me? Think about all the cases out there, ladies and gentlemen. Heck, we got the case in Tennessee where they released the video and the case is just getting going. I mean, could you imagine if we had body cam video in the Lori Vallow case? Well, I mean, no, we got a little bit, but only in Idaho is nothing released. Now, also, obviously, we know uh, Mr. Pryor is looking to get a continuance. He's looking to get a severance and he has filed an affidavit of his DNA expert. And he is basically saying, hey, there's a bunch of information forthcoming. I don't think I'm going to have enough time to look at everything as it relates to this case. And so, by the way, Judge, you know, I'm telling you, I'm going to need more time. And he says, quote, I am concerned that since the state very recently disclosed the to the defense the existence of this information, that I will not have sufficient time to provide the analysis review and prepare an opinion as it relates to both of these samples. These are the two new samples that they've done. In addition, if it is deemed necessary to conduct our own evaluation and testing of the state's procedures, there is a very large amount of information that will need to be provided to my office in order to make an informed and proper evaluation. What is Mr. Pryor trying to set up here in this particular situation? One, he needs more time. Two, if it's exculpatory, uh, he needs it for court and he's not gonna be able to do that. Obviously the remedy here in this particular situation be it's a late disclosure by the prosecution, they should um, not be able to use uh, that information. That would be the easiest way to remedy that but hey, since we don't get to see what takes place in those motions hearing in Idaho, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Eventually, they're going to have to do a trial. And only in Idaho is Judge Boyce and the prosecutors not confident enough in their abilities to let the case be seen by the world. Hopefully, the motion to reconsider or the position of the families uh, will be given some credence. Somehow, I don't think it will. Um, if I was a young judge and the world's watching the biggest case to plop down in the state of Idaho, I guess maybe next to the whole Koberger thing, I probably wouldn't want the world to be watching, particularly when it looks like they've made some errors. I still think motion for speedy trial is going to be an issue. Judge Boyce is not going to reverse himself. For those who are familiar with that, remember, the in the state of Idaho, from when you say not guilty at the arraignment. The state has six months. There is certain excludable time. So Lori Vallow went to the state mental health hospital for 10 months prior 
to her arraignment. So that really doesn't count uh, for her. That's excludable time, so to speak. However, when she entered a plea not guilty, she says, I want my trial within six months. The court said, well, we're going to extend it just a little longer because, you know, it's an indictment. These, these are meant to be charged together and it's okay. And I understand that if there's a little bit of time. But now we're talking several months where the trial has not gone. It's been continued multiple times where she's never said, I waive speedy trial. Judge Boyce, let's face it, he's not going to kick this case out. Not going to do it. Judges don't admit that they made a mistake. That's what appellate courts are for. But I think it's going to be an issue, just like I thought it was going to be months and months ago. We'll keep uh, bringing the information as it becomes available. Now, next on the docket, the Alec Murdoch case, a case where the attorneys wanted the case televised, the judge granted it, and my goodness, there's been no problems whatsoever. Imagine, imagine such a thing, letting the world see how the court system works so that people have faith and confidence in their judicial system. Could you imagine such a thing? Well, it's taking place down there in old Colton County, down there in South Carolina. So uh, some new photos have been released, and um, it kind of shows where Alex Murdoch's wife, uh, Maggie, and son Paul were um, obviously uh, gunned down, and the jurors were shown the weapons from the alleged killer's gun room. Now, for those who aren't familiar with this, Alec Murdoch is accused of shooting his son, Paul, with a shotgun before then taking the life of his wife, Maggie, with a different rifle out at, out at the family's 1,700-acre hunting estate. I mean, who doesn't have a 1,700-acre hunting estate? Doesn't everybody have one of those? Well, this all took place back in June 7th of 2021. And so his defense attorneys said that the distance between where the shots were fired from the two weapons suggested that there were two killers at work uh, that night. And now there's also images revealed where Paul's blood spatter was found lying close to a pair of shotgun shells, two different brands of 12-gauge ammunition, and where Maggie's body left a pool of blood just a few yards away after the two rifle rounds were fired at her. Now, Jeff Croft, he was the senior state law enforcement agent uh, that was called to testify where he held uh, the rifle and uh, two 12-gauge shotguns recovered from Murdoch's uh, firearm collections. Now, the guns that they were holding up in court are not the ones that allegedly resulted in the killings. So no murder weapons have been identified. But the types of ammunition discovered with the guns corresponds to the shells and rounds by Paul and Maggie's uh, bodies. So you have to remember, ammunition, you know, people sell it by the box. They can buy it by the crate. Lots of people buy it. If there's a particular gun dealer in town, they're probably going to lots of people are going to have that. But if they can't prove that it came from a particular firearm that's still at the house there, they've got some problems. Just saying. Is it over? Is it something they cannot overcome? I'm not saying that. But it would certainly help if they had that particular weapon. Now, the ammunition uh, contained in the rifle uh, was this uh, .30-06 AA BLK, which is the same type uh, used uh, to kill Maggie Murdoch. And uh, the agents then described finding the 12-gauge ammo box at the home, among them Federal and Winchester, the same brands as the two shells found near Paul's body. And I'm just telling you, somebody that has firearms of that nature, it would not be uncommon to have various rounds of ammunition. It usually depends on what you can get your hands on and what is available, what is inexpensive. 
uh, it just it just depends. You don't have like this brand loyalty. Oh, I only use you know Winchester rounds. Uh, at least I don't. I don't think most people do. They just give me the stuff that fits, and we go from there. Now the defense objected to all the evidence uh, coming in because obviously the defense says, "Hey, this is prejudicial." Look at all these guns he has in his house. I mean, it's a pretty good collection, you know, but it's a hunting lodge where you, they're not hunting with, you know, slingshots and bows and arrows. They're hunting with rifles. So that would make sense that they have lots of guns. So it's not that prejudicial. And the court said, no, we can do it. And even though the defense argued there's no evidence linking these guns to the crime, um, the court said it's coming in. Why? Because the prosecutors argued that they were showing how the search for the weapons was conducted and how the weapons were tested quite thoroughly. And then Judge Clifton Newman sided with the prosecution and overruled the objections. And frankly, he was correct in my humble opinion. Now, you have to recall, in the opening statements, the prosecution said gunshot residue was found on the seatbelt of Murdoch's car, as well as on the raincoat discovered at his mother's home. Now, Murdoch says he arrived home to find his wife and son shot, um, and they were both found deceased after visiting his elderly mother, who was in the late stages of Alzheimer. Now, Murdoch, uh, however, was in possession of a shotgun when police arrived, which he said he had grabbed from the house because he feared the killers were still out there on the property. 1,700 acres. Hunting lodge. <laughs> Don't you have concerns about that when you go to your hunting property? Of course you do. Now, in earlier court filings, the defense argued that the amount of residue found uh, was inconsistent with the prosecution's theory that Paul was shot at a close range. The defense has argued that the prosecution relies solely on circumstantial evidence, but circumstantial and direct evidence is viewed the same. It's up to the jury to decide what weight they're going to give it. Now, in the opening statement for the defense, they said that there's no direct evidence, there's no eyewitnesses, there's nothing on camera, there's no fingerprints, there's no forensics tying him to the crime. None. And the defense attorneys uh, kicked off this morning by suggesting that forensic expert Melinda Worley, that the Culleton County deputies and first responders had trampled all over the crime scene by the time she arrived botching the investigation in the first several hours. Uh, when asked, they actually walked into the feed room of the kennels where Paul was killed, the attorney said. There was a bloody footprint caused by one of the officers, Worley testified to. Now, the forensics officers told him that the first officer at the scene had put markers in the feed room to protect the evidence. The defense claimed, however, that one reasonable explanation provided by the footprints and the distance between the shots fired that killed Paul and Maggie was that there were two shooters. In fact, he asked, there are two people there. There are two guns there. One's a shotgun, one's a rifle. The defense then suggested that Paul could have been shot by one perpetrator, while another, who was acting as the lookout, was surprised by Maggie. Ah, the defense theory comes out further. Now, Ms. Worley looked a little bemused, saying that she wasn't there before agreeing with the defense attorney that that theory could be one explanation, not the explanation. Ah, don't you love it when the defense gets what they want from their prosecution expert witness? Boom! Is that reasonable doubt? I don't know. Let me know what you think. Defense attorneys also established with uh, Miss Worley that forensics were unable to determine multiple bloody footprints at the scene, as well as the possible footprint on Maggie's calf. Asking about how the bloody footprint in the feed room 
um, came about, uh, the defense attorney asked, is that preservation of the scene that your standards require? Ms. Worley replied, not exactly, no. The defense attorney then said, not exactly. Should police be walking through the scene? Ms. Worley responded, no. Now, the defense attorneys then asked Ms. Worley about the large volumes of water found at the crime scene, which jurors heard about last week because Paul's body was saturated with blood and water. Well, the defense attorneys asked Ms. Worley if anyone tested the water for blood or if anyone requested that she do so. She said no. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's getting good. I know today was a little slow. Friday afternoon was a little slow. But you have to remember, everybody expects there to be these smoking gun moments, so to speak. Those Perry Mason moments where somebody gets up and confesses on the stand. It doesn't happen. The best way to uh, compare it to, it's like putting a puzzle together. Each witness is a little piece of the puzzle. That witness provides a little bit of evidence, piece of the puzzle. You don't get it all from one witness. You have to put it together. And then you look back and say, oh, look, that's a nice, pretty picture of the prosecution's case. Or is it missing pieces? Is there something gone, something not there? If there is, guess what? That's reasonable doubt. All right. They resume tomorrow morning, 930 Eastern time. We'll be bringing it to you. Next on the docket, some justice for Harmony Montgomery. For those of you who don't recall, Harmony Montgomery has been missing for more than three years prompting investigators to conclude that the New Hampshire girl is no longer alive. However, her father has been formally accused of killing her who was just five years old when she vanished in late 2019. Now, on January 20th, a grand jury indicted 31-year-old Adam Montgomery on charges of second-degree murder, falsifying evidence, and witness tampering. The indictment comes after the New Hampshire Attorney General John Formella alleged at an October press conference that Adam Montgomery beat his daughter, punched her head repeatedly with a closed fist. This past summer, authorities alleged they believed Harmony is deceased, although a body has not been found. Adam Montgomery is accused of destroying Harmony's body and disposing of her remains at some point between December 7th of 2019 and March 4th of 2020. Adam Montgomery has been in jail for more than a year on charges of child abuse, accused of striking Montgomery in the face. He's pled not guilty. Adam is also a suspect in an unrelated murder and has a criminal record that includes, well, allegedly shooting somebody as well. Now, Harmony's stepmother and Adam's estranged wife told investigators that Adam encouraged her on multiple occasions to lie to the police about Harmony's whereabouts and allegedly provided her with a cover story. For her part, Kayla Montgomery also is accused of wrongdoing she has been charged with making false statements to a grand jury and collecting welfare payments for Harmony after her death. Harmony's biological mother, Crystal Sori, was forced to uh, give up her custodial rights to Harmony back in 2018. So maybe a little start to some justice there. But, you know, we've talked about it before. It, it doesn't matter what you think, what you believe. It only matters what you can prove. It's tough to tougher to prove without a body. And you'd want to be able to say, hey, produce the body. But you can't do that here in the United States. The prosecution has to prove you guilty. And they have to, in fact, prove that Harmony is deceased. I think some common sense could prevail in that particular situation. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet 
Nelson Aviles Roland. Yes, what did he do to become our dumb criminal? Well, he approached a referee. A referee for what, you may add, Scott? Well, he approached the referee and then began insulting him following a soccer match on January 8th. And the police alleged that Avila Roland's team lost that soccer match. And according to the report, the victim said he had executed a red card violation against Mr. Avila's Roland and explained to him that the red card violation ejected him not only from playing the field today, that day, but it would suspend him in the next soccer match as well. That's allegedly when Mr. Avila's punched the referee in the face, causing him to fall to the ground. And then Mr. Avila's Roland then punched another official in the back of the head after that official tried to intervene and then kicked the initial referee in the head as he was on the ground. Now, Mr. Avila's Roland was eventually restrained by others, uh, players, and then fled the scene before the police officers arrived. Fire rescue responded and took the referee uh, to a nearby urgent care for treatment. And then after two weeks passed, that's right, Mr. Avila's uh, Roland uh, turned himself in to police facing multiple counts of battery. Now you may say, Scott, why is he our dumb criminal of the day? I'm just gonna go on a, I'm gonna go on a limb here. I think Mr. Avila's Roland has some anger issues, impulse control issues. Yes, that's something that uh, we find a lot with our dumb criminal. If there's not drugs, there's not alcohol, impulse control issues. So when you're out there assaulting your ref, ask yourself, is this really that big of a deal? I'm guessing this is like a rec league. It's not like the World Cup soccer or something here. So Mr. Avila's Roland, guess what? Congratulations. You are our dumb criminal of the day. All right. Thanks for watching. Hope you're having a great day, not just a good day, and we'll see you tomorrow on Crime Talk.